Welcome to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. We're a church in Gahanna, Ohio, that exists to help people find and follow God. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and helps you discover how much God really loves you. All right, well, good morning, Three Creeks. My name is Joel. And I am currently TiVoing the World Cup final. And this afternoon, I hope to watch it, and I hope to not know the score. So as I'm standing by the door a little bit later, please refrain from giving me clues. And the podcast and video can start now. All right. Hey, good morning. My name is Joel, and I get to be the pastor here at Three Creeks. And we are in week three, our final week in a series that we have called Come to worship, and we took the, the, we got the title from Matthew 2, verse 2, where the wise men, they're on their way to see baby Jesus, and they have to stop, and they, they get interrupted, really, by King Herod on the way, and when they meet King Herod, what they say is, where is the newborn king of the Jews? Where is this baby? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. We've been talking in this series for the last couple of weeks about different ways or different postures to worship. A couple of weeks ago, Morgan talked about lifting our hands and putting our hands in the air as we worship God as this, as this visual representation of something that's going on on the inside. And, and one of the things that Morgan shared that, that I got to listen to on the podcast was, was that we're supposed to we're supposed to lift our hands when we feel it, and we're supposed to lift our hands when we don't because God hasn't changed, and He's worthy of our worship. And then last week, I talked about pouring out our hearts. I talked about telling God how you really feel and laying it all out there. And that, in and of itself, being an act of worship, because when we pour out our hearts to God, it is us communicating to God that we do believe that He cares about us at least to some extent. And so that in and of itself is this act of worship. And then today, uh, I, wanted to, I want to push us a little bit. I want to push us out of our spiritual comfort zone. I, I want to talk about something that, frankly, I'm not sure that any of us are doing that often. And, and maybe what I'm going to share with you this morning is something that you've actually never done in all of your life today. What I want to talk about, this act of worship of bowing our knees, of kneeling down to worship as an act of surrender and worship. And I want to start, actually, in Matthew chapter 2 about those wise men, because they get interrupted by Herod and they say, where is this king of the Jews? We've seen his star and we've come to worship him. If you fast forward just eight verses and you get to Matthew chapter 2, verse 10, we find that they actually finally do arrive where Jesus is. And when they saw the star in verse 10, it says that they were overjoyed. Why were these rich, old Gentiles from 900 miles away overjoyed to see some star in the distance? Why would that fill a magi or a wise man? Why would that fill this, these people with joy? The reason is that for centuries upon centuries upon centuries, they had prayed for and hoped for and believed that 
a savior would come, that a Messiah would be born, a king was going to come. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed because they thought, this is it. He has arrived. And they get to his house. Look at verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and worshiped him. They bowed down and worshiped him. Now, what's interesting is most of the time when you might picture this scene, you might picture itty-bitty four-day-old baby Jesus, right? Because that's what the nativity scene shows you. There's a little manger and a little fake baby in there, and then there's the cows, and then there's the shepherds, and the wise men are usually there, and there's usually three of them, at least in the nativity scene. But the reality is, is there were probably a lot of them, probably dozens of them. And the other thing is that they probably didn't arrive when Jesus was a baby. Most scholars agree that they probably got there when Jesus was about two years old. He was probably a toddler. They had to travel 900 miles to get there, and it took them some time to get there. And so scholars say Jesus wasn't a little bitty baby, but he was a two-year-old. And now just for fun, raise your hand. If you have a two-year-old in this room, okay, raise your hand a little higher if you've ever had a two-year-old. And I'm pretty sure the rest of us have at least been around a two-year-old at some point. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to tell you like it is, okay? Before I had kids, man, I used to judge parents pretty bad with unruly two-year-olds. I would judge them like crazy. I would go to the restaurant and see the wild, crazy two-year-olds banging their fists on the restaurant table, throwing mashed potatoes across the floor. And I would just judge them in my heart. When I'm a parent, I'm never going to let my kids disrespect me like that. And then, you know, you see the parents attempt to discipline and the the two-year-olds just go limp, you know, and and you're like, if they would just read the books that I'm going to read, if they would just watch the videos that I'm going to watch. And I did it, and I prepared for parenthood, and I I learned about the interrupt rule, and I learned about timeout, and I thought, when I get a two-year-old, he's not going to be, or she's not going to be out of control like these other ones. But then I had a two-year-old. And and I, I will say this, then I had Willow, my third. And everything changed because for a long time, we stood our ground and we disciplined and we held the line and we said no. And she wore me down and she wore me down and they wear you down. And at at, at one point, you know, we were the ones making the rules, but things have changed. Now they're making the rules and I'll do whatever it takes to get them to be quiet or to go to sleep. But it's like, you want candy? We'll, we can do candy. You want Cocoa Melon? Let's do Cocoa Melon. You want a race car? You want a pony? Whatever it takes to get you to be quiet and go to sleep. And I find myself right now, my daughter's two years old, going into her room at night, trying to put her to bed. And all of a sudden, the, the, the rules have switched where she is now making all of the rules. She's the one telling me how many books that we're going to read, how many blankets that she wants on her, how many stuffies and which one should be in the crib and which one should be out. And she's literally pointing and dictating and I'm just going, whatever it takes to get you to go to sleep. I wrote this other part and I'm not sure if I just say it. (laughs) There's no other creature alive like a two-year-old. 
who will look at you in the face and they'll never break eye contact and they just look at you. <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> I can't do it. All right. They just, they just look at you and they'll never, they'll never make eye contact and they'll just poop their pants right there, right in front of you. <laughs> and if, into a trained eye, you can see the little... <laughs> and then you say, are you, are you taking a poop? And they'll just lie to your face. Nope. <laughs> not, not doing it. Two-year-olds are crazy, and, and they make you go nuts. And, and really, if you think about it, and, and, and all joking aside, if, you, if we can transition from that paragraph of that... It does change the scene a little bit to imagine. Imagine these old, wise, Gentile, rich people who don't bow to anybody. These guys are the leaders. They're the ones that are in charge. They're the ones that other people bow down to. They're the ones with all the money and all the power. They're from a foreign land bringing frankincense and gold and myrrh. And nobody, they don't bow to anybody. And they come before Jesus, this two-year-old little kid, and they get down on their face and they bow down and they worship Jesus. That's what the scripture says. I, I want to I talk with us. I want to have an honest conversation just for a few minutes about kneeling, bowing down in the presence of God. In our culture, this is not something that we are used to doing. It's not something that we do very often. We're Americans. We bow to nobody. We don't submit. If you submit, that means that you lost. We don't, we don't bow to anybody. And so culturally, we, it's just not something that we're very used to. And it's something that would be out of our spiritual comfort zone to, even in a public service like this, to get on our knees and to bow down and to worship God. It's something that is not, we're not real familiar with that. And yet, when you look at God's Word, when you look in the Bible, you will see over and over and over and over and over opportunities to kneel down in humble submission and in awe of the goodness of God. In Psalm 95, the psalmist writes, come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. That's what the psalmist wrote. He wrote that, that word worship. It's a word that is used 170 times in the Bible. The Hebrew word, my best pronunciation, I'm gonna give it a shot, is this word shahach. It's shahach. And, and when, it, when, the, when the people write that it's time to come in shahach before the Lord, it, 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 it means more than just worship. It actually includes this physical posture of bowing your knee, of getting down, of getting low before the Lord. 
And 170 times we see in the Bible that people, when they come and they worship God, they get down on their knees and they bow before the Lord. And, and it, almost, it almost means that, they, that their face is almost like, there's like a magnetic pull towards the ground when people shahach. But this isn't something that we're used to or familiar with. It's not something that, that makes us comfortable. It's because we're told in every other area is just don't bow down, don't submit, don't give in. Don't admit that somebody else has a better way. One of the reasons why culturally we don't kneel or we're not comfortable with kneeling is we don't understand or comprehend or are at least thinking about the holiness of God. You see, if we comprehended the holiness of God, we would want to be low before him in worship. It would feel like the right thing to do if we comprehended the holiness of God. When Moses asked if he could see God, God was like, listen, Moses, no mortal man can see God in his purest essence and live And so Moses, I'm going to pass in front of you, but you need to hide your face. I'm going to let you see a little glimpse of me. But Moses, if I let you see all of me, you're going to die. This is the holiness of God. When the the high priest once a year in the Old Testament would go into the Holy of Holies just once a year, only one person got to go in. In the Holy of Holies is where this, the presence of God manifested itself. It's where God would dwell. And they would tie a rope to his foot when he went in because they were uncertain. I don't even know if the high priest is going to be able to make it. I don't even know if he's going to be allowed to live if he's in there. That is the, that is the holiness of God. And so they would tie a rope around his foot just in case they had to drag him out because nobody was going to go in there to get him. When we comprehend the holiness of God, the glory of God, the God who created everything, suddenly kneeling down before him, it feels like the right thing to do. It feels like the only thing to do. And what's actually interesting is that God in the Bible, he doesn't ever say, bow down to me. But what he does say is, don't bow down to anybody else. Don't bow down to idols. And in that, God is essentially saying, human beings, you are created to worship. You're created as worshipers. You're not in charge but you're created as worshipers. And so God is saying, don't worship anybody. Don't bow down to idols. You're going to be inclined to bow whenever you worship something. Don't bow down to any other idol or any other God or any other thing. But it's almost as if he assumes, as as soon as we get to know him and how good he is and how holy he is, that the only natural response is going to be for us to go and just get on our knees and shahach. And to worship him. What I want to do this morning for this for this second half, I guess, of what I'm sharing. Is 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 offer you this uh, I'll just tell you right now, I'm gonna make this invitation at the end of my message 
for you to do this, for you to shahach. We've talked about lifting hands and what that looks like. We've talked about pouring out our hearts. And, and I know for a lot of people that I talked to this week that last week that was a special moment. But this week, this is the culmination. This is ultimate submission. This is ultimate shahach. It's ultimate worship for us to bow down, to kneel in the presence of God and say, God, I want, I want less of me and I want more of you. I, I want to get lower so you can get higher. I don't need to compete with you. I don't need to be in charge with you. I just, I come before you and I bow down. Like this right here in and of itself would be this physical act of worship that we give to God. What I want to do to kind of help you along as you think about this and as you consider this invitation is give you three different reasons as to why I think you should consider bowing down before God. The first one, if you're taking notes, is this. Some of you might want to kneel in pursuit. You might want to kneel in pursuit. In Mark chapter 10, there's a story that I am pretty familiar with, and I think that you may have heard this one before too. Even if you haven't spent a lot of time in church, maybe you've heard this story. In Mark chapter 10, it's a story about this rich young man who, according to everybody else, has everything. And yet he knows that he's missing something. Deep in his heart, he knows that there's a missing piece, even though according to the world, he has it all. And he hears about Jesus and he thinks, maybe, maybe that is the missing piece. And look in Mark chapter 10, verse 17. This is the interaction that he has with Jesus. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Friends, I've read this 250 times. And all 250 times, what jumps off the page to me is the question that he asks. Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I want to know the answer to that question too. And so that question is what jumps off the page. And I got to be honest, I don't know if I've ever in my life recognized his posture when he asked that question. This guy literally falls on his knees. He collapses before Jesus in desperation, knowing, knowing that he had everything that everybody thought that you needed. Knowing he was missing something, he falls on his knees in pursuit of the answer. This guy is loaded and he is popular. And in that culture, he doesn't bow to anybody. But he comes before Jesus. Look, it says, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees as he asked that question. Have you ever pictured that story like that? And some of you, you guys might be at a place like that in your life right now, where if you're honest, you would just say, no, I'm not a committed Jesus follower. You might believe in God or the idea of God, but you have a lot more questions than answers. Some of you probably don't even know what you believe, and you're asking questions like, is there a God? Could there be a God? Could there be a lot of gods? If there is a God, where does Jesus play in that? What about other religions? 
And if you, were, if you would put yourself in that category of, of one who would go, I'm not all in. I'm still asking questions. I want to encourage you. If this is where you're at, you might decide this morning, hey, this is pretty important. I do need to get this right. And you might kneel even though you don't even know the God that you're kneeling to. And you might kneel just in case and ask some questions and kneel in pursuit like this guy did and pray something along these lines. God, if you are real, show yourself to me. If you do exist, God, would you prove it? And if you, in my opinion, would have the wisdom and the courage to begin praying prayers like that, I'm just warning you, you got to be careful because the answer to those questions is coming, that he is real. The Bible is pretty clear that if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Another passage of scripture says that you will seek, if you seek God with all of your heart, you will find him. And if there's anybody in the room who has a lot more questions than answers, and you're just not sure if you're in, I want to encourage you or challenge you to kneel in pursuit like this rich young ruler did. And see if he is real. And there are others of you, if you are a follower of Jesus, you don't necessarily need to kneel in pursuit, but you might need to kneel in repentance. If you're anything like me, you too have messed it up and you have made mistakes and you have, you've done the things that you said you were never going to do again. And, and the, the anger, it just came out or you looked at the thing that you said that you weren't going to look at again or you talked bad about somebody behind their back, even though you know that you shouldn't have done it, and you just, you messed up, you lied, or you cheated, and you've done something. If you're anything like me, you've done something that breaks the heart of God and that hurts other people and might even hurt yourself. There's, a, there's an incredibly powerful example of kneeling in repentance in Luke chapter 5. Peter was this young, incredible fisherman. Not educated, but he'd spent his whole life fishing, and he at least knew how to do that. And Jesus is in the process of gathering his first followers, his disciples, and, and this is what happens. Jesus is walking along the shore. Peter has been fishing all day, and he hasn't caught anything. And Jesus says, hey, why don't you throw the net on the other side? And if you think about this, really, Peter's probably thinking to himself, hey, you're a carpenter. Why don't you go build a table and I'll bring the fish and put it on the table. Don't give me advice. I've been fishing my whole life and I'm, I'm worn out. But Peter says, you know what? Just maybe to prove you wrong, I'll just, I'll just show you. And he takes up the net and he throws the net on the other side of the boat. And the, the, the net becomes so full of fish that the net actually starts to break. And Peter in the moment realizes who he's talking to. And watch, watch Peter's response. This is fascinating. Watch his response. When Simon Peter saw this, look what he does. He fell at Jesus' feet and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. In this act of repentance, watch his heart. He doesn't say, Wow, 
thank you, God. This is awesome. Can we do it again? Should I throw the net on the other side? Can you give me more fish? That's not Peter's heart in this. Peter's heart is one of repentance because he knows whose presence he is in. He says, get away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. And here's, here's the beautiful thing that we all need to be on the same page about, is that Jesus never, ever turns away a sinner with a repentant heart. He never turns away a sinner with a repentant heart. And I know, I know it. I'm sure of it that there's people that came in here this morning and you're carrying mistakes. You're carrying baggage. You're almost surprising yourself that you're here because you don't feel like you even deserve to be here. You've come in today going, man, if anybody really knew what I did this week. You almost have this uncomfortable feeling, but, but let me just explain to you that you belong in the presence of God with a repentant heart. That's the difference. The difference is the repentant heart. The difference is the willingness, the humility to say, I've messed up, I have failed. And Jesus never turns away a sinner with a repentant heart. We're all sinners. We've all made mistakes. We're all going to make more. The difference between somebody who gets to walk into the presence of God and be with him and enjoy him versus somebody who always feels like they have to have their tail between their legs and hope nobody finds out. The difference between those two things is an, a heart of repentance and the willingness to get down on our feet and say, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm so, I did it again. I told you I wasn't going to do it, but I did it again. This is the difference. And we, we see Peter getting down to Jesus' knees and there's going to be some people in here that need to do that today. I'm just being honest with you. As I was reading this this morning, I woke up and I was reading through it and I was praying through it. And I'm just, I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't, didn't plan on saying this. That is the category I find myself in this week. I need to kneel before the Lord and repent of sin in my life. I'm just being honest. The good news is that Scripture teaches that if we do repent, that He's, if we confess our sins, that He's faithful and kind and forgives us our sins and purifies us from unrighteousness. And so in a few minutes, I'm going to give you a chance to actually bow and get on your knees before the Lord and, and, just, and just beg God for mercy. And in that moment, God's going to, boom, forgive your sins. And I might just stay on my knees a little while longer and worship the God who freely forgives me over and over and over and over and over. Some of us need to kneel in pursuit. Some of us need to kneel in repentance. And here's the last one. Some of us today might need to kneel in submission. Maybe this morning for the first time in your life, there's, there's an area of your life that you have actually never turned over to God. You've given him portions of your life. You have allowed, you've allowed him to speak into and or affect certain areas of your life. But there's some, there's some area of your life where you, if you're just being honest, you have not submitted to God. 
You have not acknowledged that in this one area that his way is better than your way. And some of us need to kneel in submission and say, God, I'm just going to give all of it to you and trust you in this. Morgan and I have been watching, uh, you guys seen the TV show Alone? You guys seen this thing? So they take 10 people. This is crazy. They take 10 people and they go into the Arctic somewhere and they just drop them off. And it's not like Survivor where there's a whole TV crew. They actually send them with their own cameras. A couple of GoPros, a couple of cameras. And these people film themselves. They get to take 10 items. I don't know how many they get to pick from, but they pick 10 different items, a tarp, an axe, something like that, but no food. And, and they just say, you are, name the TV show, alone. And the idea is, out of 10 of them, the one that lasts the longest wins. And they get like $500,000. And these people starve themselves. It's like below zero degrees after a little while. They, they put them there in the fall and it kind of goes through into the winter. And these people are building like houses, trying to prepare for the winter. And, and they, uh, they eat. There's this one guy that lost 100 pounds in 60 days because they just don't eat. They just literally starve themselves. This guy tried eating tree bark. Other, other people, <clears throat> gag, gag warning, uh, they're eating like rabbit everything. You know what I'm saying? Like everything about the rabbit. They're eating slugs and leeches, and it's pretty wild. And I sit on my couch and eat potato chips, and I'm entertained by their pain. And the way that it works is that each one of the contestants has a satellite phone. And when they hit their breaking point, when they say, I've had enough, I can't do it anymore. They pick up the phone and it's like the, the most intense moment of the show where you hear beep, beep, beep. And it shows them on the phone and they say, I'm tapping out. I can't do it anymore. And the next clip is a boat coming to get them. And they come and they take them and they're, they're out of the competition. Sometimes, I don't know if I shared this, they have, they have to stay like 75 or like 100 days to try to outlast the rest of the contestants. But just about in every season, this is what's interesting. Just about in every season, there's one or two contestants that are unwilling to tap out, even if it means that they will have long-term, the rest of their life, physical damages. Some of them literally are close to dying and they won't tap out. They won't hit the button. And so what happens is, is the medical team, they come out every couple days to weigh them and check their vital signs. It gets to the point where in every single season, the medical team has to say, hey, we have to pull you from the game because if we don't, you're going to die. And, and the per they're just broken. They don't want to give up, but they say, we're literally going to take you to the hospital right now so that you don't die. Your organs are failing. You've lost too much weight. You can't keep going. Your toes are turning black. And these people won't tap. They won't give up. They won't give in. And now while I will acknowledge that there's something about the willpower that is impressive, I think that we can collectively agree that there's not a lot of wisdom in that. That they're not thinking right. That, they, that there's, not, there's not wisdom in their decision to never submit, never tap out. And there's some of us, and I'm including myself on purpose, there's some of us in here that are kind of acting like that with God. 
where there's an area of our lives that God has been working on and going for and talking to us about and using people to talk to us about, and we are unwilling to tap out. We're unwilling to surrender. We're unwilling to submit and acknowledge that His way could be better. What's crazy to me is that Jesus actually went through this whole submit to the will of the Father thing himself. See, when he was born in Bethlehem, right away, the plan was for him to die for us. He was born and born to die. And being God, being fully God and never compromising his deity, he knew that that was what was on the horizon for him. And so for 33 years, he lived knowing that that was going to be the end. That, that even though he never sinned, that he became sin for us. He knew that he was going to have to go to the cross and that the wrath of God for every sin of all mankind was going to be just on him. He knew that he was going to have to endure that. He knew that he was going to feel abandoned by the Father, from the Father. He knew that he was going to go through that. And the night before he did that, Knowing it was coming, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. And three of them go up, kind of start going up with him. He says, Peter, James, and John, you guys stay here. I'm going to go a little bit further, and I'm going to pray. And look what it says in verse 22. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them. That's the three disciples. And Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. We see even Jesus Christ himself, knowing that this was the plan, come before God and get on his knees and say, if there's any other way, God, if there's any other way, I'm, I don't, I don't want to go through this. Please let this cup pass. But not my will. Yours be done. Jesus Christ got on his knees in submission to the will of the Father. And I still have these pockets of my life that I'm not really willing to say, yeah, God knows. God knows better than I do. Some of us, that's what we need to pray today. Not my will, but yours be done. I submit to you. I submit my career to you. I submit my family to you. I submit my singleness to you. I submit my children to you. I submit my money to you. Not my will, yours be done. You know better than I do. Your ways, your thoughts are higher and better than my thoughts. And so even though I am tempted to try to control everything, and even in my attempt to control everything, I can't do it, and that stresses me out. In my attempt to control everything, God, I'm failing. And so I give it to you, not my will, yours be done. I submit all of my life to you. And maybe it's time to literally, physically shahach and kneel down in submission. See, some of us this morning, it's going to make a lot of sense for us to kneel in pursuit, as we ask questions. And for others of us, it's going to make sense to kneel in repentance and say, 
I'm so sorry that I've messed up again. And for some of us, we're going to need to kneel and surrender and say, this area of my life that I have not given over to you, that I'm trying to control my way, I'm giving it, I'm releasing it today to you. And in all three instances, the appropriate response is to kneel. We see it from the rich ruler, we see it from Peter, and we see it from Jesus himself, that getting down in shahach, that that is the physical posture that these things are done in. And, and then let me just close with this. This is the, this is the, uh, I was reading this week and I thought, man, that is interesting to think about. In my favorite 11 verses of the entire Bible, it's Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 11. It talks about this person of Jesus, what he was like and what he came to do and how it's going to end. It's, it's 11 incredible verses. And I was reading it this week and I thought to myself, man, today... On December 18, 2022, we have a choice to kneel or not. We can, we can choose not to, or we can choose to, but we, we, we have a choice. But it dawned on me as I read Philippians 2, I'm going to read it to you in a second, that there's going to come a day where, where the choice is taken away and every knee will bow at the name of Jesus. And every tongue will confess that he is the Lord, that he is the king. This is what Philippians 2 says about Jesus. Look at this. In verse 8, it says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Why was Jesus born? Why did Christmas happen? So he could be found in appearance as a man to humble himself And to become obedient to death, even death on a cross, for us. That is why Jesus, that is why Christmas happened. And therefore, because of that, therefore, God exalted Jesus to the highest place. He's sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And gave him the name that is above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that he is the Lord. And he he deserves our worship and our praise. And today we have a choice. And there will come a day where every knee will bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. Meaning that the angels, the angels in heaven are going to bow. They're going to put their heads down. They're going to bow before Jesus. And on earth, every person is going to acknowledge that Jesus is the Lord. And under the earth, even the demons are going to bow to the name of Jesus. That's going to happen. We can kneel now or we can kneel later, but every knee is going to bow. So I want to give us an opportunity today to essentially practice it. Give it a shot. Figure out what it's going to feel like. Because every knee is going to bow. And some of you have never done this. Maybe, maybe you've done this in your room while you're praying. I don't know. Maybe, Maybe you haven't. Maybe you've literally never done this. And to the best of your ability, to the best of your ability, I know, I know what goes through my mind, so I'm going to guess what's going through yours. To the best of your ability, Don't make this about anybody else in the room and what they think. 
Let this be something between you and God and you and God alone. Because if you think about it, if you start thinking about what other people think, that actually might cause you to go both ways. You might be thinking to yourself, I, I do, I, I feel like I should kneel in repentance, but what are they going to think about me if I do that? And the other, the other, on the other side, you might see all your friends go and kneel and go, well, I guess I better go too because if I don't, I'm going to look like I wasn't listening or whatever. Like, like the opinions of other people cannot be this driving factor today. I, I, I just want to ask you, and I want to invite you as we sing this last song to kneel before God, either in pursuit or in repentance or in submission. And to the best of your ability, just don't care what anybody else thinks in the room. Make this between you and God. Maybe it's out of surrender and you're going to get on your knees and say, God, I give it all to you. Maybe it's in repentance where you're going to get on your knees and you're going to confess your sin before the Lord and you're going to be forgiven for it because remember Jesus never turns away a sinner with a repentant heart or maybe maybe you're going to kneel and and it's going to be in pursuit maybe over the last 20 to 25 minutes God has been working on your heart in a way that has made you go you know what I'm I'm the Lord of my life and I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life and if you've never given your life to Jesus maybe today's the day that you do that where you surrender everything to him, that your, your pursuit of him, that you actually give your heart and your soul to him, and you, sharach, you, you have learned more about who God is and how good he is and how holy he is, and so naturally you're just going, it just makes sense for me to bow. I'm not going to try to control it anymore. I'm not going to try to be in charge anymore. It just makes sense for me to bow. Remember, God, listen, God never once in the Bible says, bow to me. But 170 different times, people are going, we should shahak right now. You never see in the Bible people coming into the presence of God and not having this overwhelming experience of, I, I just feel like I'm supposed to bow. I just feel like I'm supposed to bend my knees. I feel like I'm supposed to get down low because of how good and holy and great he is. So how this works practically, I don't know. I, I tried it back there. You kind of have to be like at an angle if you're in your seat. There's some room down here. There's some room in the aisles. And just make this between you and God. And we're going to sing a song. It's the song that we've sung a bunch of times before. It's called, Oh, Praise the Name. And for the first two-thirds of the song, I want to give us as a church an invitation to bend our knee and to bow and to kneel before the Lord, our Maker and to shahach. And about two-thirds of the way through the song, Kelsey's going to say something, and she's going to ask everybody to stand at that point. And we're going to kind of, we're going to conclude this whole series by standing and singing and lifting our hands and praising God. We're going to worship Him. So... Yeah, I don't know. I guess uh, the last thing I wrote here was our God never asked us to bow before him because he knew that when we knew who he was, our only reasonable response would be to bow down and worship him. He is that good. And so as we sing this song, I invite you to shahak with me. 
Thanks for listening to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, to give online, or to attend a service, visit threecreekschurch.com. Thank you.